0: Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> and I've spent some time here in this passage. I told the men this morning that one of the reasons that I have spent a lot of time here is from the, because of the background that I came from in dispensationalism one of the aspects of dispensationalism is <clears throat> we are not under law but we're under grace. You'll hear that a lot in dispensational circles and preaching. And this passage of scripture really undermines that thought. And uh so I I labored to prove a number of things uh in uh, approaching this sermon because, like I said, some have said that this is the most difficult passage in the entire Bible to interpret. How you interpret this passage, what you understand it to mean, really applies to how you interpret the Old Testament, the relationship between the gospel and the law, what our relationship to the law is now that we are saved and in Christ, uh, how you view certain passages of scripture like in the book of Hebrews, like we're reading through, and uh, why we no longer have a high priest, why we no longer do sacrifices. Uh, And so it's, it's really a difficult passage to understand because there's some theological underpinnings, some theological understandings that really are affected by how you interpret These verses. Verse 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus is telling his hearers, I want you to think a certain way about my ministry. Stop thinking this way and start thinking this way. I didn't come to destroy, I came to fulfill. And of course, we went through a number of things that the people at that time had seen Jesus do, what they had heard him say, and so there would have been some misconceptions, some misunderstandings that arose out of that. But Jesus said, I am not come to destroy your scriptures, and that's what is meant by the law and the prophets, the entirety of the Old Testament, as I took some great pains to be able to prove how that was used. Jesus said, I am come. This is my mission. I'm not come to destroy either the law or the prophets or the entirety of your Old Testament scriptures. I'm not going to pull them down. I'm not going to abolish. No, I'm not going to destroy, overthrow them. In other words, Jesus' relationship to the Old Testament is not destructive. And then we spent a lot of time on the word Fulfill. And uh, the best way to describe the way that word is used in the New Testament is that Jesus Christ brings the Old Testament to completion by carrying out all that pointed to him. And that's important. He carries out all that points to him. He completes or fulfills that. In other words, without Christ, the Old Testament is incomplete. It is unfulfilled. The Old Testament is not abolished. But the purpose for which it was written is now complete in the person, works, and words of Jesus Christ. And we went through numerous verses to prove that. In the earthly ministry of Jesus alone, over 300 prophecies were fulfilled. 300 portions of the Old Testament fulfilled by his birth, his death, his resurrection, the fact that Gentiles are now being saved, uh, at Pentecost, the, whole, the coming of the Spirit, according to Joel chapter 2. Jesus himself said that the scriptures point to him, Luke 24. He told people to search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they, the scriptures, are they which testify of me. And Jesus made a statement in Matthew 11 where he said that you know, the, 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 the prophets, all of the law and the prophets prophesied, the whole of the Old Testament prophesies of Jesus Christ in some way. And their function was until John the Baptist. From then, a new age has come. You might say it's the age of fulfillment. They talk about the age of enlightenment, but in Christ, we have the age of fulfillment. And then we looked at Luke chapter 4, where Jesus actually stops at a comma, and in, in from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, the reason was because the first part before that comma was being fulfilled in the ministry of Christ, and that's exactly what he said. This day, the scripture is being fulfilled in your ears. But he stopped at the comma because the later portion of that verse wasn't being fulfilled at that time. So I want to pick up where we left off kind of mentioned this briefly, but I want to spend a little time here. We cannot leave out the most important way that Jesus fulfills the law or the prophets or the psalms. Number one, he perfectly kept it. Specifically, the moral law. Jesus perfectly kept the law. And he died on the cross to satisfy forever its demands for us. For those who would believe on him. Jesus met its holy demands through perfect obedience. And by dying on the cross, he paid the law's penalty for us. All of the types and symbolism, in the Old Testament, specifically the sacrifices, and very specifically the Passover lamb, were fulfilled on the cross. And it actually says that in Acts 13, 29. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him. Imagine that. And they didn't even know they were doing it. Talk about the providence of God. They fulfilled everything that was written of him. And so we must understand the cross, in its relation to the law. Jesus Christ was enduring and bearing in his own body on the tree the penalty that the law prescribed for disobedience to it. The penalty that is due for the sin of man. Death is the penalty for sin, which is, and what is sin? Sin is the transgression of, of the law the law condemns sin and the law is fulfilled through its penalty being paid or carried out and the penalty of the law against transgressors is is death and Jesus Christ carried that out for us god exacted the punishment from his very own son in our place and because of that forgiveness is possible because the punishment that the law demands has been carried out. I want to look at a few verses here. Christ fulfilled the law on the cross. Take a look, at, if you would, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. These statements. Rise up off the pages of Scripture and give us hope. Christ, in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 3, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. He was made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Why? That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What a blessing those verses are. Look at verses 19 through 24. I, I'd like to read them more, but for sake of time and to be able to get further into my sermon, I, that I would like to. Verse 19, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, may it never be. For if there had been a law given which which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded, all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And what is given to us? The righteousness that Jesus Christ obtained by obeying the law is given to us or imputed to our account. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith that which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster, our tutor, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith is come, we are no longer under schoolmaster, meaning the law, for ye are all the sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So in other words, Christ became accursed for us so that what he gained for us could be given to us, imputed to us. Take a look, if you would, to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, but draw particular attention to verse 4. Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, is they might be saved. For I bear them witness. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man who doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is near thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now what's it mean to be saved? To have God's righteousness. For, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Which righteousness? The righteousness of the law? No, the righteousness is which, is, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him should not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall receive the righteousness that Christ earned by perfect obedience to the law. Now go back to verse 4. Christ brought the law to its culmination, to its end. And he made righteousness available to those who believe. Look at verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone that believeth. I heard a preacher say the best way to read this verse, because of both of the words for there, is to, like in your mind, put a comma after the word law. For Christ is the end of the law. Why? For righteousness is now to everyone that believes. You cannot gain God's righteousness by keeping the law. Christ is the end of the law. Righteousness now comes to those who believe on Christ. Amen? The word for here shows purpose or result. The word end means goal or direction. The authority of the law is now at an end because the goal or direction to which it pointed is now here in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ carried it out to its completion. Now, one of the reasons that the law, the Old Testament scriptures, continue to be valid and have authority today is that those who refuse to come to Christ those who will not believe on Christ, those who are trying to go about to establish their own righteousness will be judged according to the law. And they will have to pay its penalty, which is death. So there are two groups of people, and Paul is actually addressing those two groups in Romans chapter 10. You can be related to God through Christ, or you can be related to God through the law. And, of course, the law condemns that second group. Those who receive the righteousness that is of faith in Jesus Christ are not, are not under the condemnation of the law. those who do not avail themselves of the salvation or the righteousness that is in Christ will abide under the wrath and condemnation of God as prescribed in the law. In other words, under the old covenant, the law was central. Under the new covenant, and I do believe in covenants, under the new covenant, Christ is central central. Christ is the termination or the goal of the law, and he fulfills it on an ongoing basis through his earthly life, through our life, which I'm going to point out in just a second, and through the things that are yet to be accomplished that are still unfulfilled in the Old Testament. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? But what a blessing that we don't have to be related to God through the law because the law brings a curse, which Jesus Christ became a curse for us on the cross of Calvary. And it's especially more of a blessing when you get into Matthew chapter 5 and you look at what Christ talks about the true intent of the law was. And For instance, men, if we ever looked at a woman to lust after in our hearts, we broke one of the Ten Commandments. That was the true nature, the inner intent of the law. The other reason that the law continues to be valid and authoritative is how Jesus fulfills it even today. How does Jesus, our Savior, fulfill the law today? He fulfills it in and through us by his presence in us by the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. Romans chapter 8. A lot of people will say that this is their favorite chapter in the Bible, and I tend to agree with that. This is an incredible chapter. Romans chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. We'll start in verse 1. that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now follow me as I go through this. The Holy Spirit, through regeneration, gives us a love of the law and then the power to live by it. Let me repeat that. Brother Cyril's, are you saying that the law is still for us today? Remember, I broke up that law. I kind of gave us some different categories of it. The moral law, as we would identify it as, is the Ten Commandments and other moral principles, is a law that has now been written in our hearts. So through regeneration... The Holy Spirit gives us the love of the law and the power to live by it. Before we were saved, we were carnally minded. We hated the law of God, and we could not, and we would not be subject to it. But now, as a believer, we have a new nature that is subject to the law of God, and might I say it this way, the true nature of the law of God. The law is being fulfilled in us because it is now written in our hearts, it is written in our minds, and the law will no longer be outside of a person on tables of stone but on the fleshly tables of a believer's heart. The law under the new covenant is within us. Romans chapter 2 talks about being circumcised in heart. That's a Old Testament way of referring to regeneration. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. Do you get get the distinction there between the spirit and the letter? What do you think Paul had in mind? The letter of the law. And then Jeremiah thirty one, thirty-three. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Well, Brother Searles, that's a that's an old testament reference, okay? Go to Hebrews chapter eight, verses seven through thirteen. Hebrews chapter eight, verses seven through thirteen. For if that First covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And that he saith, The new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and groweth old is ready. Vanish away. Now, what does it mean under the new covenant, which, by the way, we are under the new covenant, that God's law has been written in our hearts and minds? We're not Israel. Can I state it this way? That as believers in Jesus Christ, we are experiencing. The spiritual benefits of the new covenant, but not the physical benefits of the new covenant. There is a covenant that's been made with the nation of Israel that will be fulfilled. But what is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ today, even among the Gentiles of whom we are, His spirit has been put within us. We have been regenerated, and that law being in our hearts means that it is now our desire to keep it. We love it. We are anxious to do it. We are anxious to please God. We have this inner motivation to do it, and should I say a right motivation that comes from within, energized by the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's not a motivation that, this, that stresses externals. It's a motivation that has the inner character of the law in mind, the inner nature of the law in mind. It's not an external mold. We're not trying to please men by stopping on the street corner and drawing attention to the fact that we're praying. We don't blow trumpets when we put money in the offering plate or in the slot in the back. It's not an external adherence which is exactly what Jesus is going to teach in the following verses. And finally, because it is in our hearts, put there by God himself, not on tables of stone, but on the tables of our heart, we are enabled to keep it and to do it. Our actions, of course, spring from our hearts, which are now governed by God's law written in our hearts. And might I say that is a, I mean, think about that. Isn't that a blessing? Because in our sinful natures, left to themselves, we would never be able to please God, ever. But through the person and presence and power of the Holy Spirit within us, we are enabled to keep and do what God wants us to do. That is going on today in us. So Christ is fulfilling the law in and through us today because we have an inner motivation to keep it. I hope I said this right because, man, every time I think about this, every time I realize I've done something good for God, who do I point to? Not me. I point to the presence and power and person of the Holy Spirit within me who enables me to do what God wants me to do. Otherwise, I could not do it. To sum this up, Christ fulfills the law in four ways. Number one, of course, predictive prophecy, which we went through. All of the things in the Old Testament that pointed to him, especially in his earthly ministry, from his birth to his resurrection and ascension, everything that pointed to Christ, the giving of the Spirit, Gentiles being saved, what is happening now in the church. All of that which was in the Old Testament pointing to Christ, It was fulfilled in his ministry. Number two, he fulfills the law. He carries it out by obeying it on our behalf. Because, folks, we could not. We could not. Number three, he fulfills the law. He carries it out by bearing its penalty, which is death. And number four, it's written on our hearts. The law is fulfilled in us through Christ, he gives us his righteousness and the ability to keep the true nature of the law. That flows out of Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus saying that he didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. He came not to destroy but to fulfill. And so there are some theological ramifications from this. What is the relation of the law to the gospel and to grace? The law required perfect obedience, and its penalty for transgressing even one point of it was what? Death. Christ obeyed it perfectly for us, and that his righteousness is then, according to Romans chapter 10 and earlier in the book is imputed to us when we believe on Him. In the following verses, starting, and then all the way down through chapter seven and verse 12, Jesus is showing us what is the true nature of the law. and it's not just externals, but it's an internal matter of the heart. D.A. Carson said he is going to show us the direction in which it points on the basis of his own authority. We're talking about the moral law here specifically. And so if someone asks you the question, is the law for us today? The answer to that is yes, it is for us today. Christ fulfilled portions of that law. I don't have to offer a sacrifice today because Christ fulfilled that for me. He carried it out for me. He became a curse for me. Is the moral law for us today? And the answer to that is yes. Grace does not set aside the law because the law is written in our hearts. It's an internal matter of the heart. Jesus presents himself. You have to understand with this statement in verse 18, Jesus is presenting himself as the prophetic end or goal of the Old Testament. And the result of that, remember he said that the the law and the prophets were until John. The result of that is that he alone then is the only authoritative interpreter of the law. The Old Testament, then, only has significance in the light of the person of Christ. He is the interpretive key. And it continues as authoritative. It continues as valid, only as it is interpreted in the light of his person, his words, and his works, and, of course, the nature of the kingdom of God. So the... The scriptures continue to be valid and authoritative as they are fulfilled in Christ. He's the key. And because he's the key, and all that he accomplished for us, the center of our relationship with God, what it is based on is not the law. It's based on Christ. Do they still have a purpose? Yes. They still have a purpose. But that purpose finds its interpretive key in Christ and the gospel only. You can't ignore the Old Testament. You can't divorce it from the New Testament. We need the Old Testament. But the Old Testament was not an end in itself. They were preparatory to the coming of the Messiah. After his coming, they are valid and authoritative in Christ. As we rightly understand those Old Testament scriptures in relation to God's plan in Christ and him alone. And so our interpretation of the Old Testament is affected by how we understand what Jesus said in verse 17. So, is the Old Testament irrelevant to us? No. Neither is the law of God, especially the moral law as we would identify it, set aside. You see, a hint to the meaning is in the following verse in verse 18. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no way pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Notice that word all in verse 18. Till all be fulfilled. The law, the Old Testament scriptures, stay intact until all is fulfilled. All of it. And we know that it is fulfilled, of course, in stages. And it's being fulfilled in us today. Some of it's been completed. Its purpose in pointing to Christ has been accomplished. He carried it out. Jesus has perfectly carried it out. But it still stays in force or intact or valid or authoritative until when? Till all of it is fulfilled. The substance of what the shadow pointed to has arrived, but the shadow still points. And, of course, you have the fact that people would not know what sin was unless there was the law. So the law is people's schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Years ago, I heard a preacher And I can't remember his exact words. And it wasn't until I understood what these verses were teaching. And he may have been preaching on a different portion of scripture. But I remember him holding up his Bible. And I wish I could say it as eloquently as he said it. And I'm not even going to attempt to say it like he said it. But folks, presidents will come and go, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Governments will be started and abolished, but the word of God endureth forever. Good men may come and go, but the word of God endureth forever. Bad men will come and go, but the word of God endureth forever. Other books will be written and forgotten, but the word of God endureth forever. Kingdoms will rise and kingdoms will fall, but the word of God endureth forever. And the word of God is understood in the person of Jesus Christ who endureth forever. And our interpretive understanding of all that he came to do and will do will never go away until the last part of it has been fulfilled, because the word of God endureth forever. And this word, the word of God, who gives to us the person and work of Jesus Christ, who we can base our faith upon, will also endure forever. Because a true child of God who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ will never, ever fall away. You hold in your laps, look at on your phone or your tablet, the Word of God, and every part of it will be fulfilled. In Christ, every part will be fulfilled. And to the last jot or last tittle has been fulfilled... And my understanding is the Word of God will still endure forever. But Christ will have fulfilled it all. Father, we thank you for your Word. And we thank you for fulfilling it in us today and writing your law upon our hearts. And may you get the glory you get the honor for all that you accomplish in our lives to the person and work of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to keep the true intent of the law. We're asking in Jesus' name. Amen.